friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. ready to go to God's Word. May I request each one of us to please rise from our seats at this time. And we would like to read um, John chapter 5 and verses 14 to 17. We're picking up from where we left off. This is the second and last installment of our series which we had entitled as Hero or Villain. So let's read verses 14 to 17 at this time. At the count of three, please. One, to read. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you because we are so blessed. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we thank you that you chose us, that you elected us, you predestined us, and we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness, and now we live in the kingdom of your marvelous light. We thank you, Lord, that we have the assurance of salvation. Our names are written in the book of life. And we thank you, Lord, that because Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our lives, we have all of these blessings and even more. And so today... Our desire, O oh God, is that we might worship you from the bottom of our hearts. You have commanded us to love you with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, may we not do anything less this morning. We pray, O oh God, that you will open our hearts and our minds and our spiritual ears. We pray that your word will not return to you null and void but that it might accomplish the very purpose by which you have sent it for. We pray for the presence and the unction of the Holy Spirit to minister to all of us, O oh God, because we need you. We need you today. And Lord, I need you today as your servant. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me clarity of thoughts. And I need you, Father, so that I might be able to communicate to your people your word succinctly so that they might understand it. And I pray that as I speak, Lord, I might speak with boldness, with courage, and with no compromise whatsoever. And that as I speak, Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon us. I pray for those who are not yet believers for those who have not yet made Jesus their Lord and Savior today, I pray, Father, that they might meet Jesus today and that they might hand over their lives to Him as well. And Lord, whatever is going to be achieved this morning, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. As I mentioned to you, this is part two of the short series that we entitled The Hero or Villain. And just a little review, in our previous sermon, we saw that the traditions and the religious beliefs of the Jews had actually made them close to the truth. They had hardened their hearts and they were unable to perceive the truth that was being presented by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, of course, was unfortunate because for the nation of Israel, that was actually the day of their visitation. But they missed the day of their visitation. And instead of hailing Jesus Christ as a hero, they actually persecuted him as a villain. They were unable to see Jesus for who he really was. And they actually failed to see the stupendous miracle that was performed before them. But rather, what they saw was their own religious beliefs and traditions being violated by the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is that the Lord Jesus Christ only violated their human traditions, which after all were actually flawed interpretations of the Bible, of the Old Testament in particular. As I mentioned to you, they had come up with hundreds of laws which eventually became human tradition, and they passed this on from generation to generation. However, the unfortunate thing is that although they claimed to be experts of the law, they had actually muddled the understanding of scriptures. And that is why to a lot of people, the laws of God became something that was hazy, something that was unclear. And Jesus Christ came to correct all those misinterpretations. The problem was they had hardened their hearts. They wanted to settle down on their prejudices, on their biases, on their human traditions. And sadly, they were unable to see the truth. Now, moreover, what happened also, as we will see in this particular narrative that we will study, is that they were unable to see Jesus as Messiah and also as God. And if there's something that I would like to point out this morning, it is that Jesus is Lord, He is Savior, He is King, He is Messiah, but He is more than that. He is the Son of God. He is the second person in the Blessed Trinity. Jesus himself is God. He is not an ordinary man. He is not just a prophet. He is the Son of God, the second person in the blessed Trinity. But you know what? They did not see that. In fact, they saw him as a blasphemer. They saw him as a false prophet. They saw him as an ordinary carpenter. And here is where we see that the human heart is really very important in perceiving the truth. And we will expound on that even further as we move forward 
in our study of this particular narrative. But then just to review what I had mentioned, and I hope that you caught that last time around, here is where we see that wrong perceptions and wrong beliefs actually produce wrong decisions as well as wrong responses. Their response to the Lord Jesus Christ should have been worship. Their response to the Lord Jesus Christ should have been an acknowledgement of who He really was. They should have bowed down in allegiance to the Son of God, and they should have made Him their Lord and Savior and Messiah as well. But that opportunity, unfortunately, was wasted. It did not come to pass Again, because of the wrong perceptions and wrong beliefs stemming from a hardened heart. Now, in the end, here's what you and I will see. If ever unbelief reigns in the hearts of people, it is because they have chosen that path. And this is something that I have been emphasizing in the last sermon that we had last week, and we were saying that ignorance is really a choice. If people do not know the truth, if people are unable to perceive the truth, it is not because of any lack of evidence on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this whole narrative is about the Lord Jesus Christ presenting unquestionable evidence that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, and that He is God. And yet, unfortunately, in spite of the abundance of evidence that Jesus had produced over a period of three years, majority of the people of Israel still rejected their Messiah. The end of days of the Lord Jesus Christ was the cross. The end of days of the Lord Jesus Christ was crucifixion. That was what happened. That was how he was received by his own people. That is why in the Gospel of John, we are told that his own, referring to the nation of Israel, his own received him not. And in this particular story, we find a narrative that actually tells us what had happened in that three-year period or time frame. This was actually multiplied many times over in that three-year period when Jesus was doing public ministry. Now, when we go to verse 14, obviously we see the one who offended the Jews was the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just expound on the situation here wherein the man who was healed was found once again by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pick up the story from this particular point. So let's take a look at verse 14 at this time, and it goes, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So if you recall, Jesus had slipped away from the scene. He did not want to linger on in spite of the glory of that miraculous healing because 
these people were not really open to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he left the scene, but then he comes back again and meets up with this man whom he had healed. And then he says, he gives him a warning. He says, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, we need to note here that the reason why this man was sick was because there was sin in his life. Now, remember last time around, we were saying that sometimes we question God as to the matter of afflictions that we encounter, the adversities and storms that we go through. And we ask God, Lord, why is this happening to me? And sometimes we even raise a fist against God complaining about why we have to go through those storms, those trials, those adversities in our lives. And remember, I told you that we have to be patient with God. We need to wait upon the Lord because we know that our God is good. And so that ultimately, He has our good in mind. And so whatever the reason is, we know that ultimately God is going to bring about our own restoration and conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this case, however, we find that the reason why he was sick was God was dealing with his soul. There was sin in his life. And probably the reason why he did not get healed in that 38-year period was because he was refusing to repent. Now, let me just say this, however, because we might begin to think that if I am sick, I must be in sin. Now, there is another reason why you are sick. And the reason is one word, bacteria. All right? So do not always think that well, I'm sick, I must be in sin. No, that is not always the reason. Now, having said that, however, we need to be mindful of the fact that at times, and we need to note this down, at times, the reason why we get sick is because there's something wrong in our lives. There is a sin that God is dealing with. And this is exactly what happened to the church of Corinth. In the church of Corinth, they had disrespected the Lord's table. And Paul said, he wrote in the letter and he said, this is the reason why some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you die. And so yes, sometimes the reason why we are sick is because there is sin in our lives. And if that is true, if there is really sin in our lives, the only way we can be restored physically is for us to confess our sins, all right? Now, this tells us another thing which I would like to point out, that Jesus is more concerned, listen well, He is more concerned about our spiritual healing more than our physical healing. That's what I can glean from this particular passage. And that is why as much as our generation right now is very much into health and fitness, let us be mindful that our souls are more important to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why if we do take care of our bodies, which is a good thing, we should take care of our souls even more. 
Because that is what is more important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, having said that, I'd like to be able to state that I believe that healing still happens today. Now, God can use doctors, by the way. He can use doctors to bring about healing. He can use medicine to bring about healing. But I also believe that He can bring about supernatural healing as well, even up to today. Because He is God. Because He is omnipotent. He is almighty and all-powerful. And there is nothing impossible with Him. There is nothing difficult with Him. And if that is the case, then, of course... He can heal supernaturally. And I just recall the situation of my wife. She had, she had gallbladder stones. And doctors will tell you they don't melt because they are really, really hard. And so for several years, um, we were, we were you know, she was suffering from, from those stones and we were waiting for the opportunity that she could have her operation. But we were also waiting for her TSH. I'm getting a little bit technical here. But anyway, we were waiting for that to stabilize because if an operation takes place and she has not stabilized her condition, then she could have what is called as a thyroid storm. And that could be fatal. So as much as we wanted an operation to take place, we could not do it until the TSH level would stabilize. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and it, it was fluctuating all throughout. One particular night, my, wo my wife woke up, and she had this impression to pray before the Lord for healing. And she laid hands on herself, on her tummy, and she prayed, Lord, please heal me. Heal me. Take away these gallbladder stones. And interestingly, we went back, had our checkup. She had her ultrasound. She had her uh, echo. I forgot the term used for that. But she went through a battery of tests. And so we went and, and saw our doctor, and, and the doctor said, he looked at the results and he said, it's gone. <laughs> it is gone. He could not believe it. Hallelujah. But then he wanted to make sure. He said, I just want to make sure. So he, he had her make, uh, he had her go through another test. And finally, after that test, he was completely convinced that he was healed or she was healed miraculously by the Lord. Our God still heals today. Amen? However, uh, to balance things off, because sometimes I hear some preachers using a passage of Scripture out of context. And I think it's not right to use this particular passage. And I'd like to go on a little ra rabbit trail here. Let, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, please, verses 21 to 24. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, 
who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. I've heard so many preachers use this last phrase, by his wounds you were healed, to refer to physical healing. I'd like you to know this is not the right verse to use when you're talking about physical healing. As I mentioned to you, I believe in physical healing. You can use James chapter 5, wherein it says that if anyone is sick, you can approach your elders, let them pray over you so that you could get well. So you could use that. You could use 1 Corinthians, which says that there is the gift of healing. But this particular passage is not talking about physical healing, but rather it is talking about spiritual healing. Now, how do we know it is talking about spiritual healing? Very simple. Look at the context because the context will tell you the meaning. Verse 24, go back to it. It says, and he himself bore our what? What does it say? Say it out loud, please. Bore our what? Our sins, it says, in his body on the cross so that we might die to what? To sin and live to righteousness. So what's the context here? The context is not physical healing. The context here is the, the, the sin problem of man. That is what is being healed here. So it says, for by his wounds you were healed. So we're talking about spiritual healing in this particular case, not physical healing. And so having clarified that, let me go back to my point which I made earlier. That God is actually more concerned about our spiritual healing than our physical healing. Also, as we take a look at the verse that we just read a while ago, it is implied, as the next verse would suggest, that Jesus revealed himself to the one he had healed. Remember that at first when he was asked by the Jews, who is it that healed you? He could not give an answer. Because Jesus had not identified himself to this man. But obviously, now came the point wherein Jesus revealed himself to this person because his heart was now ready. His heart was now ready. He just experienced a powerful miracle. And he was probably thinking to himself, I don't deserve this. I'm a sinner. And, and maybe in his mind... He knew that the reason why he was sick was because he was a sinner. But then now God had graced him. God had performed a miracle, shown him favor, and now his heart was ready. So Jesus again reappears before him. And this time he, re, rather he introduces himself to this man and reveals himself. And this gives us another principle. It is only to the seeking heart 
that Jesus reveals himself. Let me say it again. It is only to the seeking heart that Jesus reveals himself. And that is why if people have not found Christ, it is because they are not really seeking for him. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is found in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. And of course, just allow me to supply the context once again. This was actually directed towards the Jews who were now in exile in Babylon. They had been exiled because of their apostasy, because of their rebellion, and so they were now situated in a foreign land in Babylon. But God gives them an encouragement. And the promise is this, in verse 13, it says, You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's how we find God. We find God by seeking Him with all of our hearts. And the question I would like to submit to you, if you are here this morning, is... Are you seeking the Lord with all your heart? Because you cannot do anything less than what God requires. And so if we are going to find God in our lives, it is because we are seeking Him with all of our hearts. Now let me balance this, however, and talk about the sovereignty of God. Because in Romans chapter 3, we also find that the truth of the matter is left to ourselves, we will not really seek God. Romans chapter 3 says there is no one who seeks after God. So if we have found God, if you and I have had a seeking heart, the question is where did that come from? If it could not come from our own nature, our own human nature, where then did this faith come from? And the answer is, it came from God. That is why faith is actually a gift. Repentance is also a gift that comes from God. And this is actually the work of the Holy Spirit, because in the Gospels it says that the Holy Spirit comes into the world to convict the world of what? Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says that He enlightens every man. Some Bible scholars call this prevenient grace. And later on, it becomes what is called as effectual grace. And the point really is this. Although there is human responsibility on one side, you have on the other side the sovereignty of God. And you know, it is difficult to be able to explain that. But perhaps the analogy and the picture here is two banks of a river. Now, you remove one bank, it's no longer a river. You remove the other bank, it is also no longer a river. You need both banks to make it a river. And the illustration is one bank is the sovereignty of God and the other bank is human responsibility. So yes, God ministers to us. He convicts us, but we need to respond. But even our response actually comes from God Himself. So my point is this, 
there should be no boasting. If you have found God, understand this, he found you first. Amen? He found you first. And this is something that Jesus made clear to the disciples in the Gospel of John chapter 15. He said, you did not choose me. I chose you. And Jesus says the same thing to all of us here this morning. You did not choose God. If Jesus could speak to us, he would say, you did not choose me. I chose you. So shouldn't that cause us to praise and thank and worship the Lord God Almighty? Amen? Shouldn't we praise, thank, and, and glorify God Almighty? This man experienced this as well. Out of the multitudes, remember, there were multitudes of people who were waiting to be healed at that time. But God singled out this man. This sinner, in fact, was singled out by Christ and granted him favor that he totally did not deserve at all. This man experienced the grace of God firsthand. He had a personal encounter with Christ. And when his heart was ready, because God had poured out a mighty grace upon him, Jesus reveals himself and he accepts Christ. And guess what he does next? Out of gratitude. Look at verse 15. He heralds the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. It says, The man went away and told the Jews, that it was Jesus who made him well. After Jesus reveals himself to the man he healed, the man goes about identifying Jesus as the man who had healed him. This healed man now becomes the herald of good news. And I think that is the only proper response that, that people should, should be doing when they have been graced by God, and this should be true of all of us who have experienced deliverance from Christ, most especially those of us who have experienced redemption. We should be going out, and remember I've been making an appeal to you, invest in one life. Share the gospel to this one person that you're thinking about, praying about, share the gospel. And if this person responds positively to the gospel of Jesus Christ, begin to disciple and mentor that person so that more and more people might know Jesus Christ. Don't you want Jesus to be known all over the city of Cebu? How many want Jesus to be known in this city? How many want Jesus to be proclaimed in the city? How many of you want Jesus to be declared Lord and Savior and King of this city? How many of you want that? Oh, yes, we want that. Amen? We want people talking about Jesus. We want people talking about the gospel. We want people rejoicing in their salvation, talking about the new life that they have. We want people talking about the goodness and the love of God. We want people talking about what God has done to them, how God had changed them, how God delivered their marriage, how they got healed, how they have received the empowering of God. We want that to happen to our city. 
And this is exactly what this man did as gratitude to what the Lord had done. He could not help himself. He was bursting with so much joy. He was overflowing with so much joy. And to him, he was thinking, they have got to know who it is that healed me. I was sick for 38 long years. Nobody cared about me. Nobody even brought me to the pool so that I could get healing when an angel stared up the pool. Nobody cared for me. But this man cared for me and he is my Lord and he is my Savior and he is my God and I am going to share about him to people I know if we must boast let us boast in the Lord and sometimes we forget what Christ has done for us he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And not only that, you and I know that the favor of God follows us. The loving kindness of God follows us. Every single day, He carries our burdens. He hides us in the shelter of His wings. He is our rock of refuge that we can run to. He is our fortress. And in His presence, we feel that, that safety. In His presence, we feel His power and His love and His goodness. And because that is true in our lives, the only proper thing for us to do is to herald what Christ has done for us. Now, as we look into this narrative and talk about this powerful miracle that had happened, it is so unfortunate that the Jews were not seeing it. They were not seeing the power. They were not seeing the miracle. They were not seeing the grace. They were not seeing the favor at all. That is why in verses 16 to 17, we find the persecution of Jesus. Can you imagine that? He should have been hailed as a hero, and yet he was being treated as a villain, as if he had committed a great crime to society. You will notice that the response later on was even to kill him. Isn't that interesting? How could you just kill somebody who just performed a good deed? But then, I'm going ahead of myself. Let's just break this down a little slower. Let's take a look at verses 16 and 17. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because He was doing these things on the Sabbath. But He answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. That's His defense. Again, just to review, the Jews took offense on Jesus commanding the sick man to pick up his pallet, unmindful of the healing as well as the alleviation of the pain that this man had suffered for 38 long years. These Jews took offense that the healed man was carrying his pallet, which to their mind, according to their human tradition, was a violation of the fourth commandment because you are not supposed to carry furniture on the Sabbath. 
And this man was carrying his pallet. And to them, oh, you have committed a grave sin against God. And the man who healed you, the man who said, pick up your pallet, he is the one with greater sin. How could he do this? How could he ask you to violate our traditions? That was what they were saying. Many times, human tradition can come in our way of understanding truth and the person of Christ himself. They had, the Jews had lauded themselves, they had touted themselves as experts of the law. But Jesus saw them differently. I'd like to bring before you some verses of Scripture so that you could see how Jesus perceived them. Look at Matthew 15, verse 3. It says, he, And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, what was happening here? Didn't we say that these people thought that they were experts of the law? What was happening here? You know, the problem was this. They did not consider the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, as the ultimate and final authority for life and living. Rather, what they had done was their interpretations of the Old Testament, which later on became human tradition, now was elevated to a point wherein it was now equal to the scriptures. In fact, as Jesus would reveal to us in the Gospels, it even carried greater weight in so many cases than the Scripture itself. And whenever that happens, we are threading on dangerous ground. Because only the Bible can be trusted for life and living. Because as the Bible says, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching. The Greek word for, for that is, it, all Scripture is God-breathed. That's what it means in the Greek. It's God-breathed. And that is why the only way, the only way you and I will arrive at truth is when we see the Bible as our ultimate and final authority for life and living. I'm not in any way, by the way, saying that human tradition is useless. At times, it can be helpful. But then human tradition must be subjugated to what the Bible says. If it contradicts the Bible, then it should not be considered at all. Because again, only the Scriptures. In fact, the cry of the Reformation was sola scriptura which means scriptures alone serve as our final authority for life and living. That you see, the Jews were not willing to give in. Look at Matthew 15, verse 6. It says here, He is not to honor his father or his mother, and by this you invalidated the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. There you go. 
Again, it was tradition versus the Word of God. And when, when it was placed side by side, guess what they chose? They did not choose the Bible, but rather they chose human tradition. Mark 7 verse 8 says, Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. That's what Jesus was saying here. You neglected the commandment of God. Instead, you, what you have upheld is the tradition of men. Mark 7 verse 9 reads, He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Remember, they were saying, we're experts of the law. And Jesus was saying, experts of the law? Are you kidding me? You're not experts of the law. Here's what you are experts in. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. It is not my tradition. It is not God's tradition. It is not the tradition of the Old Testament. It is your tradition. And you would rather keep your tradition than keep my commandments. That was the problem. Mark 7 verse 13 says, look at verse 13, it says, Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, which you, again look at the pronouns here, you have handed down. That, that did not come from me. That did not come from the Father. That did not come from heaven. You, you, you were the one who handed it down. Notice the pronoun, it's very important to take note of the pronoun here. You have handed that down and you do many things such as that. So Jesus was saying, you know, you've always been doing this. This is your consistent lifestyle. You're always setting aside the Bible. You're always setting aside what should be the final and ultimate authority for life and living. And what you continually uphold is your tradition. It's not mine. It's not from my Father. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not from heaven. It's not from the Old Testament. But that's exactly what you are doing. Now, the interesting part here is that what caused the controversy was the healing of Jesus on a Sabbath because they thought, the Jews thought, that you could not even do any work, not even, listen well, not even a good work on the Sabbath. Let me ask you a question. Let me paint a picture here. Right now, people in Manila are a bit paranoid because all this talk about the big one, we're talking about the earthquake, is coming to Manila. And they know that, well, the experts believe that Manila is ripe for the big one. 72 but there are some Japanese people who are saying it might reach nine. And Pillbox is saying that in a scenario like that, 
something like 30,000 people would die if the big one happens, 30,000. Think about this other scenario. Almost all our government offices are in Manila. So, if the big one happens, guess what's going to happen? It's going to paralyze the whole country. All the major companies are there, by the way. So it's really scary if you really think about it. But again, let me just paint this picture. What if we were Jews in Manila and the big one happens on a Sabbath? And somebody is lying down because a column of a building has fallen on his leg. Remember, it's the Sabbath. With this kind of reasoning from the Pharisees, will you lift up? Will you lift up that column to help this brother in case the big one happens? According to their tradition, you can't do that. Isn't this plain stupidity? But this is exactly what they were making a big fuss about. They did not even think about the fact, look, this guy had been suffering for 38 long years. A good deed has been done to him. Look at him right now. He's healthy. And more than that, he's restored to God. More than that, he's now a person who loves God, who's going to worship God. You should be rejoicing in that. But instead, what they saw was not the healing. What they saw was not the relief that this man experienced. What they saw was he violated our tradition. And here's where you see that they actually misunderstood everything. The Jews were putting greater emphasis on form rather than the spirit of the law. And this was something that Jesus tried to correct all throughout his public ministry. If there's something we have to understand, the law of the spirit is higher than the letter of the law. Let me say it again. The law of the Spirit is higher than the letter of the law. Jesus ex exposed that because everything for them was external. And that's why this is what Jesus, Jesus confronted them and challenged their thinking and said, you're talking about thou shalt not commit adultery? Let me tell you this. If you look at the woman with lust in your eyes, You've already committed adultery. You say, thou shalt not murder. Let me tell you the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. The law of the spirit is higher than the letter of the law. And this was what they were missing all throughout. Let me just explain to you. Now, Jesus justifies himself by stating that just as God the Father never stops working on the Sabbath, can you imagine if God stopped working on the Sabbath and you have the big one? What will happen to the world? 
So the point of Jesus is, if my father is working on the Sabbath, I'm also working on the Sabbath. Now, there are important things to note about the Sabbath because sometimes we don't understand what it is. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of man. And Jesus was merely fulfilling the spirit of the Sabbath. Now, again, let's ask, what was the Sabbath for? Remember, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. So the point was, you need to rest on the Sabbath because you cannot keep on working. If you keep on working and working and you don't have any stops, you don't have any gaps, you're going to burn out yourself and you're going to be unhealthy, you're going to be sickly, so you need to rest. So what was the Sabbath made for? The Sabbath was made for man. Secondly, the Sabbath was intended by God as a special day for you not only to be refreshed physically, but more importantly, for you to be refreshed spiritually. Because that would be the time wherein everything stops. Your work stops. Your business stops. Everything that you're doing stops. And what you do right now is focus on the Lord. Worship Him. Gaze at Him. Adore Him. Give your offerings. Give your sacrifices. That's what you do. And you get refreshing. You get restoration for your soul. That's what the Sabbath is for. It is for man. Now, let me ask you this question. What did Jesus do? He what? He healed. Now, let me ask you, was it good for that man? Was it for the good and the benefit of that man? Yes or no? Yes, it was. So what was Jesus doing? He was fulfilling the spirit of the Sabbath. Doing good, God doing good to man. And here, by the way, brings forth another very important dimension in the person of Christ. His deity, which I will explain in a bit. Now, here's a second point I'd like to make about the Sabbath. Likewise, Jesus is implying here that doing a necessary good, say necessary good, Doing a necessary good on a Sabbath is not a violation of it. If you are doing something that benefits man, that is good for man, it is not a violation of it. In other words, if there is an urgent emergency situation, You cannot just stop and and look at the person and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It's the Sabbath. You can't do that. Now, even as Jesus often tried to correct the Jews from their wrong interpretation of Scripture, their pride prevented them from understanding the truth. It's really just pride. If you ask the question, what is it that that prevents people from seeing the truth? If the truth is made clear, if God has given us all the evidence about Himself, why is it that people still refuse to believe the truth? The answer is very simple. The short answer is pride, human pride. Look at Hosea 5 verses 5 and 6, please. 
It says, moreover, the pride, there you go, the pride of Israel testifies against him. And Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also has stumbled with them to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. So what was it that prevented them from actually finding God? Again, we go to verse 5. It says, pride, the pride of Israel testifies against him. And one lesson we can glean out of this is pride always gets in the way of truth. When somebody's not seeing the truth, you can be sure of one thing. There is pride in the heart. If somebody is not seeing things rather clearly, even with all the evidence, you can be sure of one thing. There is pride in the heart. Because pride will always stop you from believing the truth. Now, I go back to that point which I made earlier that this actually presents a greater view of Christ. Again, Jesus claimed that the work of God on the Sabbath was sufficient precedent for him since God was his Father, thereby implying, this one, his equality with God the Father. By saying, you know what, this is what my Father is doing, I'm also doing this. What was he saying? He was saying, look, I'm not an ordinary man. You're looking at me and you're thinking I'm an ordinary prophet. You're looking at me and you're thinking I'm, I'm an ordinary man. I'm not. My father is doing, he's working on a Sabbath. I'm also working on a Sabbath. And if you can read what I'm really trying to say here, you know that I'm really saying I'm God myself. I'm the second person in the blessed Trinity. I am the Son of God. And actually, if you take a look at the Gospel of John, this was the purpose of John. The purpose why the Gospel of John was written was to present Jesus not only as Savior and Messiah, but to present Him as God. And for people to believe in Him as God. Look at the purpose in John 20, verse 31, please. It says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These are written that you might believe. That's the purpose statement. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life through His name. The key word here is the word believe, which is the Greek word pisteuo, which, by the way, occurs 98 times in the Gospel of John. That tells you that's the emphasis. When, when something is repeated many times over, this is the emphasis. Believe, believe, believe. This is what needs to happen. I'm writing this down so that you might believe. I'm presenting to you all the evidences. Exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D. I'm presenting to you all of the evidences. And it's all clear. All you have to do is believe. That's the point. And by the way, the Greek here is in the present tense and participial forms. Apparently, here's what John wanted to emphasize. 
to stress an active, continuous, and vital trust in Jesus' deity as well as His humanity. So, if you're asking at this point in time, how does this sermon relate to me? I've already believed in Christ. Well, the application is this. You need to continue to believe in Him. And here's the thing. You need to continually pursue Him in your life. This believing doesn't stop at the moment you accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. No, this is a continuing activity in our lives. We need to continue to believe in Him. Continue to be steadfast in Him. And here's the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength. And anything less than that is sin. Anything less than that is inadequate and is lacking. And that's why here's the thing. We never stop pursuing God. We never stop believing Him. We need to continue to believe in Him, not only for what He has done to us in the past, we need to continue to believe in Him for what He's doing in the present and what He will continue to do in the future. And we know that our God will do great and mighty things for us. And we need to keep believing that. The Gospel of John speaks more clearly than any other gospel when it comes to the deity of Christ. There can be no doubt that the Bible does teach that Jesus of Nazareth was fully God as well as truly man. One of the things that happened to me in the States was I met up with a group of pastors in California, they wanted me to preach to them, so I gave them a message. And I met somebody there, an evangelical pastor, who introduced himself as the son of one of the founders of a major cult in the Philippines that does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God that does not believe that Jesus is God, but believes that Jesus is only a man. They believe in Him as a Savior. They believe in Him as a Lord. But they do not believe He is God. And interestingly, as I was having conversation with him, this is what he told me. He said, the truth of the matter is that my father who is part of the founders of this cult, which, by the way, has millions of adherents all throughout the world. He said, my father, together with these other ministers, decided to formulate a religion, make it a little bit controversial, so that it creates a lot of noise. But this is what he said. But the intention was to make money. There you go. That's the human heart. The human heart is so capable of doing so many crazy, stupid, and foolish things.
That is why Jeremiah basically tells us, you do not trust the human heart. That's why if people do not believe in the truth, there's something wrong. There's something that has gone awry. And the only way that can be corrected is when the truth is presented and we have got to be open to the truth lest we become deceived and deluded and begin to believe lies. Jesus was presenting something else here. He was giving them the bigger picture. He was telling them, you know what? I'm not just Savior. I'm God. And the deity of Christ in the Gospel of John can be seen in his seven I am statements. Remember, he says, I am the bread of life. Remember he said that? Now, the phrase there, I am, functions as a title. It was not like Jesus was just introducing himself. No, it functions as the official title of God. Now, how do we know that? Because if you go to the Old Testament, Exodus 3, 13 to 15, we don't have the time to go there. But anyway, when Moses asked who he was talking to, who the God he was talking to, the God of the Old Testament introduced himself as I am. He said, tell them I am. This is the title that God took upon himself in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus was saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, guess what he was saying to the people? I too am God. And again, if only they were open to the truth, they would have accepted Christ, they would have bowed their knees, they would have confessed allegiance to Christ. So the point that Jesus made as he healed this man on the Sabbath was this. As God, I can do this work. Because I myself am God. And because my Father does good works in the Sabbath, I too can do this. I am not violating it. I am fulfilling it. In effect, he was saying, you talk about the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But here's a tragic thing. All the evidence is presented. Here's how the people respond. Look at John 5 verse 18, please. John 5, 18 reads, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to what? Kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father. Notice, they understood it. They understood the point that Jesus was making. It says here, but also was calling God his own father, making himself what? What, what? Making himself equal with what? With God. So they understood. The question is, was that the truth? 
And the answer, of course, is yes. That's the truth. Jesus, indeed, is God. Now, here's the problem. If it is true that Jesus is God, where now lies the problem? The problem does not lie with evidence presented. The evidence was clear as day. So the problem has to do not with Christ, not with God. The problem has to do with the human heart. The pride. The hardness. See, the problem was truth at this point in time was hurting their own traditions. And they got offended by that. Because the truth of the matter is truth offends. It does offend. Do not ever think that truth is like a gentle sword. No, it's not a gentle sword. It's a very sharp, two-edged sword. But it is the truth that sets us free. Let me give you one very powerful example. During the congregational prayer and fasting, I, I shared Psalm 51. David was living in adultery. He was trying to conceal his sin. He murdered the husband of the of the he murdered the husband of the wife in whom he was committing adultery with. Here comes Nathan into the royal palace and without compromise confronts his king and he says, You're the man. You are the sinner. And when that happened. David could have said, you know what? That offends me. Don't you know who I am? I'm the king of Israel. Don't you know I have so many subjects who bow down to me and kowtow to me? Don't you know who I am? Even kings of other nations cringe when, when they see me in battle. I'm the famous David. I'm the one people sing about and talk about. And you talk to me that way? But that was the truth. Truth offends. So here's the thing. What is the only proper response to truth? The only proper response to truth is though it may offend you, it should deliver you. Because that's what Jesus said. It is the truth that sets you free. Guess what happened to David? He was offended. But he said, you know what, Nathan? You're speaking the truth to my soul. It hurts that you have talked to me in this way. But Nathan, you're telling the truth. And right that moment, he confesses his sin before God. What happens? He was set free. Amen? He was set free. And now, he was restored back into the presence of the Lord. And he experienced once again the joy of the Lord. Amen? 
He began to experience once again the loving kindness and the faithfulness of God and he began to experience once again the favor of God upon his life. That is what the truth does. It sets us free, amen, to be who we really should be. Victorious men and women of God. Men and women who are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. That's who we are. We are not supposed to be victims, but we are supposed to be victors in our lives. Again, as we look at this, let us not veer away from the very powerful lesson. They had misunderstood both the Sabbath and the person of Jesus. And again, as we had stated early on and in the previous sermon, wrong perceptions and wrong beliefs stemming from a hardened heart will always produce wrong decisions and wrong responses. And this tells us the importance of having a seeking heart to know the truth that we might fulfill the will of God. In ending, let me just close by saying that as we reflect on this passage, let us be mindful that our pride and our stubborn insistence on our religious beliefs can come in the way of knowing truth. Truth can only be found by those who are humble. Those who are willing for their religious beliefs to be challenged by the authority of scriptures. I do not speak words of my own. My own words and my own opinions do not really matter. The truth of the matter is without the Bible, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say to you that would be of great importance. I have nothing to say that has any eternal value. Take away the Bible. I have nothing to say to you. But now, because we have the Scriptures, I have everything to say to you based on the truth of the Bible. And if you are willing to be challenged, if you are willing for your convictions and beliefs to be challenged by the authority of Scriptures, you will find God. In the end, is the seeking heart who will find God. Do not stop seeking God. Amen? Because He is worthy of praise and our worship and our adoration. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes at this time. But every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if there are some people here who have not yet accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, as human beings, we have no hope to save ourselves. Our good works cannot save us. 
for the simple reason that what God requires is perfection. It's already a cliche for people to say, no man is perfect, and that is so true. So why fight the truth? The truth that says you cannot save yourself. Instead of fighting that truth, you should be humble and say to God, then Lord, what is it that will save my soul? Well, Jesus provided the most eloquent answer at the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses and washes every single one of the sins that you have committed in this life and you will continue to commit in your lifetime. His blood covers all sins. And if you are humble, if you are willing, right now, He's going to cleanse and wash your sins. Right now, He will write your name in the book of life. All you have to do is make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Surrender your life, asking Him, Lord, change me. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And when you do that, He's going to save your soul. He's going to write your name in the book of life today, never to be erased. And if that is what you desire, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I can lead you in a prayer to express what is in your heart right now. But just for me to find out if I should be leading some people in prayer, could you please slip up your right hand to the Lord? Those who want to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, just slip up your right hand to the Lord all over this place if there are some who would like to accept. Yes, brother. Yes, sister. Yes, brother. Amen. Amen. Yes, brothers, I see your hands. Yes, I see those hands at the back. Yes, sister, I see your hand. Yes, sister. Yes, sister. Amen. Amen. I may not see all of your hands. This is such a big place, but if you raise your hands, God sees it. Could you put your hands down right now? I'd like you to please pray at this time. Lord Jesus, I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. Cleanse me and wash me from all unrighteousness. And Jesus, I accept you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my King, and as my God. From this day onwards, Lord, I am yours. Thank you for your salvation, and I receive it with thankfulness. And I pray that you will use me. I pray that you will change me so that people might see the light of Christ in me. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
today. We thank you for this wonderful morning. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. Thank you for visiting us in a very powerful way. And right now, oh God, we just ask that you will create a greater conviction in our hearts, a greater passion in our hearts. Just like this healed man, may we herald the gospel. Invest at the very least in one life, at the very least. Make our lives count. Don't allow us to remain silent, O oh God, because we're guilty of that sin. We're guilty of being too silent, too passive. We're guilty of being unaffected. We're guilty of letting the Word of God go to one ear and pass out the other ear. And we cannot keep on doing this. Lord, help us to understand that we are not in a playground. We are in a battleground. We are at war against the forces of darkness. And we cannot afford to be casual and not serious. We pray, Lord, that you will put seriousness in our hearts. We pray, Father, that we will obey your commandment that says, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let that be true in our lives, O oh, Father. Let that be seen. And let it be seen in our obedience to you, O oh God. Let it be seen in our humility in accepting the truth, though it might offend us, O oh Lord, that we might be set free. Oh God, let us be like the psalmist who said, A day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. Allow us to be like the psalmist who says, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. Allow us to be like the psalmist who says that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May you be our chief treasure the supreme gold of our lives, O oh Father. Because you are finer than the finest gold that could ever be found in this entire universe. There's no one like you, O oh God. There's no one like you. You have no rivals. You are great and you are mighty. And you are worthy of all praise and honor. Let this place be filled with honor and praise in your glory. Let our hearts, O oh God, be in tune with the choirs of heaven. O oh Father, change the very environment of this church, O oh God, and let revival just pour out, O oh God. We ask, O oh God, for an outpouring of your Spirit even right now upon each and every soul, O oh God, and let everyone know that God is here because you are here. 
And let this redound to just worship. Allow us to see with our spiritual eyes your beauty, oh God, because you are beautiful beyond description. That's who you are. Nothing else and no one else is going to be more beautiful than you. And your face is what we want to see when our time is up. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. And thank you, Lord, that we could give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your name. There is so much to do in this city. And I pray, Lord, that you will convict your people to participate in small and big ways to reach the city of Cebu and beyond. And may you reward us, bless us, not because we're greedy, but, but because we want your kingdom to just expand all over the earth and your name to be declared. We want everyone saying that you are Lord. We want everybody saying that you are God and you are Savior. That's what we want, Lord. So help us to be the church you want to be. And whatever has been achieved today, only you deserve the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please.